All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are good, and we praise you for being here in our midst this morning, as you promise. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to better understand your word, um, the role that it has in our lives, um, and how um, our lives really do depend on your word, your truth, your instruction, um, in every part of our lives, every single part of our lives, Lord. So we pray this morning for an openness and for an eagerness uh, to study and learn and grow in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Um, we're continuing our series here on the way of Jesus, talking about how to get our beliefs, which are often really good and solid in the church, and implement those in our lives as actions so that our theology informs what we do and so that we do what our theology informs. Um, so last week we talked about practical prayer, and I want to touch on this one more time. So uh, this is open to anybody in the congregation, uh, but I specifically want to encourage you, if you are in any sort of role um, in this congregation as a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, anything where you're praying for people regularly, um, I really want to encourage you to check this out and be here. But if you have never prayed, this will be a beneficial thing to you. Uh, if you have uh, prayed a lot in your life, this will still be a beneficial thing to you. Uh, we're going to talk about why we should pray, what we pray, how we can learn from Jesus' example of prayer in the New Testament, and then talk about how we can grow a healthy prayer life in our own lives and in our own church as well. So that's what we dug into last week. This is what we're looking forward to next week in the afternoon on Sunday. And then before that, we talked about what it means to be a disciple and all these other things in our culture that demand our attention, that want us to follow them. And I hope you've been doing some reflection on that, because I think, I think some nerves were hit there, maybe. And as I scroll through social media on any given day, uh, and I see Christians posting about all kinds of things, it is clear to me that many people, many of us included on some days, who are professing Christians are disciples of something other than Jesus. We're giving our time and our devotion and our, our passions to something other than Jesus, uh, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in little ways. Or maybe we've compartmentalized our lives uh, in a way that isn't helpful, that doesn't invite Jesus into our whole selves. So we want to be disciples of Jesus. That's what this series is about. That's what this summer is about. That's what being part of a church is about. We want to be followers of Jesus so that we can learn not just to think how he thinks, but to do what he does as he called us to do in the scriptures. So today we're looking at practical study, studying God's word. Prayer is very essential to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Bible and studying the scriptures is also very essential uh, to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so there's two major components we're going to look at today. The first that we're going to look at is why we should study the Bible and can we trust it? Uh, this is a big question that our society asks. If it's hundreds or thousands of years old, why does it matter for me today? Another thing that I hear culture and society say that I, uh, that I heard even in college, even from professors that were teaching the scriptures, I heard things like this, the Bible is written by man to serve the purposes of man. Many in our culture think that the Bible is a tool that is used to manipulate people. And it's not. It's not. That wasn't its intent. Even if some well-meaning and many not well-meaning Christians have used it that way in the past, that is not what it is. And that is not what it is intended to be. 
So we don't want to abuse or misuse the scriptures. We want to learn why we can trust them today, and we're going to dig a little deeper into that. And then the second component we're going to talk about today uh, is to start building a very simple, basic framework for how we can get into God's word more individually, uh, and that will overflow into what we do as a church. And I want to encourage you, don't let a theologian or a pastor who thinks he knows what he's doing uh, don't let a Christian who seems to know God's word really well, don't let those things deter you from digging into God's word because you think you don't know enough. In reality, if you want to know more, if you want to understand more, there is no reason not to dig into God's word. Every one of us in here, whether we can just hear or listen, whether we can read it ourselves, can dig into God's word and have our faith and our lives and our families benefit from that time and that investment that we give. It just takes a willingness, and it takes maybe a little bit of humility um, for us to do that. So the first thing we're going to look at here is the why, and can we trust it? So a couple weeks ago, earlier in June, we talked about the authority of Scripture a little bit as it pertained to trusting what Jesus says. You know, the question back in that sermon in June was, why should we follow Jesus? So we wanted to know that the words that Jesus spoke that we see in the scriptures uh, were trustworthy. Were they historically accurate in those things? So a bit of this might be recapped from that, but I urge you, if you've never considered the trustworthiness of scripture, or if, you have, if that's been a stumbling block for you, like maybe you don't engage with it a lot because you just don't know if it's all true or if parts of it are true or if the whole thing's true, I encourage you to listen up to this. And so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at something called textual criticism. Uh, so here, I have a video queued up from the Alpha series that we've done here in this church before explaining where the New Testament stands in relation to many other historical documents that we have. Jesus of Nazareth is believed to have walked these streets around 2,000 years ago. But is there any evidence that he even existed? Well, there's actually quite a lot of evidence. No serious historian would deny that Jesus existed. The Roman historians Tacitus and Suetonius wrote about Jesus, as did the first century Jewish historian Josephus. He described him as Jesus, a doer of wonderful works. And then he goes on to describe his crucifixion and alleged resurrection. So there's evidence outside of the New Testament for the existence of Jesus, but most of the evidence comes from within inside the New Testament. And sometimes people say, well, the New Testament was written such a long time ago. How do we know what was written down hasn't been changed over the years? Well, the answer is that we do know because of a science called textual criticism. Textual criticism examines the number of copies of early texts that we have available to us today. And it looks at the time gap between the original document and the earliest copy that we have. And basically, the more manuscripts we have and the earlier they are, the less doubt there's going to be about the original. So let's compare the Bible to other texts in ancient history, ones that are widely used in schools and universities. Let's look at the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides. They both wrote in the 5th century BC. But the earliest copy of their writings that we have dates from AD 900, and that makes a 1,300-year time lapse. And even then, we only have eight copies of these manuscripts in the first place. 
Or look at the Roman historian Tacitus. There's a thousand-year gap between his book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies. Or another classic, Caesar's Gallic War, 950 years between the book being written and our first manuscript copy. And even then, we only have nine or ten copies of these manuscripts. Again, with Livy's famous history of Rome, a 900-year gap between the book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies of this. But when it comes to the New Testament, well, it's very different. The New Testament was written between about 40 and 100 AD, and we have manuscript evidence going back as early as 130 AD, and full manuscripts by 350 AD. And we have more than 5,300 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin translations, and 9,300 others. So, you know, we can be pretty confident in the accuracy, the authenticity, and the integrity of the New Testament scriptures that have been passed down to us today. The remarkable thing about the Bible is there's such a short chronological distance between the events being described and our first manuscripts. So in many ways, the Bible scholars are in a very fortunate position of being able to check these things out and finding that they are much more reliable than, for example, some of the alternatives you're looking at. And as a scholar, I am more than happy to say, I trust this, I take it very, very seriously, I rely on it. Professor F.J.A. Hort, one of the greatest scholars in the area of textual criticism, concluded that in the variety and fullness of the evidence on which it rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone amongst ancient prose writings. And no secular historian would disagree with that conclusion. All right, so there's a lot there. There is a lot there. And in summary, the New Testament that we have today and the Old Testament that was carefully preserved and handed down from generation to generation in the Jewish faith and up through the time of Jesus and continuing, we can trust these documents that we have way more than we can trust many of the classic um, histories and things from the same time period. The science actually agrees on this, right? That The study agrees on this. And here's the point to this. Knowing the historical and the academic authority of the Bible it helps us to view Jesus' life and the events and the subsequent witness of the early church with authority. We can trust that these early eyewitness accounts that were written down and preserved are what we are reading today. They haven't been skewed and warped and manipulated across time. And on top of this, when we aim to follow Jesus, we find that our faith in Jesus, it adds to the authority of the scriptures because we're not just interested in them from a historical perspective or from an academic perspective. This is our faith, too. This is our faith. We don't want to just find out what Jesus said and did. We want to do the things that Jesus does. So like I spoke about a few weeks ago with this topic, the Bible is sturdy, it is firm, it is trustworthy, it is resolute, and it is solid. Our psalms reading this morning said this. It said, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever is a long time. God's word is eternal. His truth is eternal. And what we get revealed to us in the pages of the scriptures reflects God's truth and God's heart. So if it is trustworthy, why should we read it then, right? Well, I hope 
That's an obvious answer, but we're going to answer it anyway. And we're going to talk about this thing called worldview. Our worldview is our lens through which we see and process the world around us. Now, there's many different things that influence our worldview. Um, Our passions influence our worldview. Our upbringing, our environment, uh, what we have been exposed to informationally and not exposed to, all of these things play into shaping our worldview. And for as many different people as there are in this world, or in this room, at least, there's a lot of differing worldviews. And we call that out and we say that because we actually want our worldview to conform to something else. We don't want it to be our worldview. So we all have worldviews, but what we need to follow is Jesus and a biblical worldview. So what is a biblical worldview? I have it up on the screen. A biblical worldview means that our lens through which we see and process the world around us aligns with Jesus, the teachings of scriptures, and the heart of God as it is revealed in the scriptures. So this consists of an understanding of sin and righteousness and the consequences of sin in this world and in our lives. That part is really well explained in Lutheran theology if you want to dig into it. Uh, A Christian worldview, it deals with salvation. How are we saved? How do we know that we are saved? It deals with morality. How can I tell right from wrong? It deals with what true godly love is in a culture that tries to fabricate it in many different ways. And a biblical worldview understands the need for us as Christians to stay firmly rooted in Christ and in the scriptures in an ever-changing culture and world. It's important to point out that a lot of Christianity and certain streams of Christianity and circles of Christianity um, in modern times and across history, it's spotted with cultural, traditional, or historical worldviews that actually work against the biblical worldview that we find in the scriptures. Part of this is because the church gets discipled by the culture more than the culture gets discipled by the church. Um, I chose not to add a bunch of stats on that one today, uh, but this is a very true thing. Our churches get influenced and discipled by the culture in many ways more effectively than the church disciples the culture and influences the culture. So that's one of the reasons we have worldviews within a church and within Christianity that do not reflect a biblical worldview. Another reason, part of this is because we connect or we fall in love with certain ways of doing things. Uh, And we begin to worship those things or defend those things in a way that causes us to disregard the question of what God might actually want for us in this area or that area. And this is one of the big dangers of traditionalism as like an institutional thing. Uh, And that is an ancient problem, and that is a modern problem. Even a church that was started 10 years ago can have traditions which supersede the authority of Christ, and they protect those traditions rather than listen to God's word. So that's something that I think is reflected throughout the church in history as well. But maybe the biggest reason we have different worldviews scattered in is because we are all still sinners in need of a Savior. None of us are perfect. And again, here's your weekly, here is your weekly reminder, I am one of those sinners. Um, your pastor is not perfect. This requires us to grow and take on 
a biblical worldview in a very active way. We should get after God's word and seek out God's word and his truth so that it can actually transform us into something that we cannot be without Jesus Christ. So in remembering this, we need more of an understanding of God's heart and his love and his life. We don't need less of it. And this requires us to grow and study the scriptures. Our scripture from 2 Timothy this morning, it really speaks to this point well. It says, All scripture is God-breathed, out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the scripture, uh, when, this, when this letter was written to Timothy, uh, the scriptures they had in their hands look a little different than us, right? They have the Old Testament scriptures, uh, and it's very, very certain that they had at least some manuscripts or partial manuscripts of the gospel accounts in their hands. So they have the scripture. They have the story of God. And the scripture, uh, these words and instructions that this is pointing to, um, that God has revealed and inspired to be recorded, and the testimony of the Gospels themselves, it says that these are profitable for us, that we gain when we engage with them, when we listen to them. And they are profitable for us for teaching, for reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness. So let me put that in other words for you. They instruct us on how the way of Jesus, the way of God, can become our way too. And how we can move from belief to action. They're valuable. They're profitable. And so why should we read and study? Because this. Because it gradually and sometimes very suddenly brings our hearts and our minds and our whole lives into alignment with God's heart and Jesus' heart and his life and teaching. And because studying them keeps us grounded and rooted in Christ regardless of where the world goes this way or that way gives us a foundation. And so if you're on the fence about whether or not you should be studying God's word, I hope this is clearing things up for you, right? It might bring up some questions. It might bring up some conviction in your life. There might be ways that your life isn't adapting a biblical worldview, and there might be ways that you really just want to grow and become more Christ-like. Because studying God's word alone and in community, this is one of those essential, foundational parts of following Jesus. And we live in a world, friends, where it's on my phone, it's right here in front of me, it's right here, it's in a couple different hundred copies scattered throughout the sanctuary and probably around the bookshelves of your home too. We have a tremendous amount of access to God's word and we should be using that. A desire to follow Jesus is gonna create in you a desire to learn and study from his word. And that's my prayer for you this morning. So let's, let's look at the how question now. How, how do we study God's word? Um, and this is gonna be a little bit more general because I think it starts in a general place. It starts in a heart place. Uh, it starts with humility is where it starts. The laying down of our own agenda, our own understanding, and our own pride and our own worldviews that might not align with Christ. We lay those down so that we can approach the Bible with an openness to what the Holy Spirit is doing and to what God wants us to learn. 
This goes hand in hand with what it means to follow Jesus. A few weeks ago, Pastor Kurt defined discipleship for us and what it means to be a disciple. And we talked about Luke chapter 9, where it talks about dying to yourself daily. Daily we are taking up this cross and following Jesus. That includes our worldview. That includes the pieces of our worldview that are not aligned with God. We want to die to those things. It includes surrendering any passions or focuses in life that distract us or deter us or prevent us from following Jesus. And it, even sometimes we lay down good things because God has something better. And it includes us laying down our cultural norms, our political beliefs, and our personal struggles and our biases. This is what it means to approach the scriptures with humility, trusting that God is going to do some work and transform us. And we don't want all of this roadblocks and baggage that we bring to it to prevent God from doing good things in our lives. So humility is big. And then I think beyond that, it involves a healthy understanding of what the scriptures are. And this could be a whole series and seminar. Allison and I can vouch for that because we took this class in seminary and it lasted three years. Uh, but we're going to sum it up for you in a sentence or two, okay? Uh, a healthy understanding of what the scriptures are means that we consider the context in which they were written and that that context actually matters. And it, the context that they were written in 2,000-ish years ago with the New Testament does not undermine their application today to better understand their purpose and application when they were written. It doesn't undermine that. Knowing more about them historically, knowing more about the life of Paul as he's writing these letters, knowing more about the churches that he was writing to, none of that undermines their application and credibility today. And it's also very important, and I, and I see this in the church a lot, it's very important that we don't treat the Bible as like an oversimplistic manual on how to live our lives. It is far more than that, friends. There are truths in the Bible that help us do that. There are some very clear directives. Uh, you look at the Ten Commandments, very clear. You look at Jesus' teachings, very clear. There are some things that apply one-to-one, -one, but this is far more than a how-to manual. This is the living word of God. There's far more to the scriptures than taking this verse or that verse and applying it without understanding the broader context. And so studying God's word means that we might study a little bit on the side too so that we can better understand what the scriptures are speaking into then and now today. So this is an area where we might dig into more in the future as a church, through classes, through workshops, uh, or more preaching. Um, but the context matters. So finally today, I want to touch just a little bit on the how. Again, in a broad and in a basic way. Because I really do think it is this simple. How can I get into God's word more? Time. Time, right? Are you willing to set aside the time to dig into God's word more? Maybe five minutes a day is a good start, if that's not part of your rhythm already. And, and when you set out that time, carve it out and protect it, because things will get in the way, I promise you. Um, and I put this up there. May your calendar and your to-do list reflect the value and importance of God's word. Where, where does God in his word and his scriptures consistently show up on your daily routine, in your daily life? I challenge you, make the time. Spend it 
This is a high bar. Spend at least as much time each week in the Word as you do scrolling through social media. Ooh, that's a lot, right? You know, every Sunday morning I get a screen time report on my phone on how how much I was on it this week. Today it was down 3%, but it was still a three-hour daily average. Okay, And I have games on my phone and stuff like that too. I'm, I'm a millennial, sorry. But that's the point, right? Those three hours weren't spent in the Bible app. A little bit of that time was, but not a lot of it compared to the other things. So, I challenge you to make that time. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. The second thing is this. There are tools. There are many, many, many tools, literally thousands of tools that will help you better understand the scriptures. Uh, A lot of those come right in the Bible app. They come right in the footnotes of the Bible that you may have. There's reading plans that will direct you through certain books or the whole scripture. There are commentaries where you can learn a scholarly um, take on what is being said and done. Uh, There are study Bibles with footnotes. There's apps on your phones and so forth. But if you're willing to do the timepiece, this part's going to be easy. If you're willing to set aside the time to dig into God's word, you're going to have the time to get into these tools as well. And don't hesitate to use other tools to help you understand the scriptures. I'd be happy to recommend any number of things. All you have to do is ask. I know Pastor Kurt would too, and Allison would too, and um, many others in this church that have those tools. We want to share them. We want to encourage people. So I challenge you, find one tool in the next week that you can help, that, that can help you grow in your study and understanding of scriptures. Just find one tool. Just sign one thing, whether it's a reading plan, whether it's a commentary, um, whether it's an article or a journal entry or something that helps better understand a certain passage or a book of the Bible. Find just one thing that will help you better understand God's word. And then the last piece of this broad overview on the how, uh, there's this together piece. Study of the scriptures as a personal discipline is very important, very important. But it does not stop there because we need community. This is one of the big needs I see here at Emmanuel in our church family. Um, We need to be gathered around God's word more deeply and more often. This need can be met in classes. It can be met in Bible studies. It can be met over coffee with a friend. It can be met over Zoom with a friend. It can be in small groups and many other ways too. But make no mistake, if you only study the Bible alone, you're missing out on a huge part of Jesus' example and instruction for us as his followers. And so the community aspect of digesting what's in the scriptures and learning from each other and discerning together, that's a big part of this. It's a big part of this. It's part of Sunday worship, but it goes way beyond Sunday worship. So I challenge you in this. Engage in, find, or create a community or a few relationships in which you can discuss and grow together in God's word. Don't do it alone. Study it alone, sure. But don't just do it alone. There's more to that. So guys, as we study God's word, as we dig into this, it's important for us to understand this is like, this is God's gift to us, right? It is incredible how much good stuff is in the scriptures, is in the Bible. And it is a huge blessing that God has allowed this to fall into our hands today. 
and willed it. What are we going to do with it now? What are we going to do with it? This is, this is God's gift to help us better understand him, to better understand his love and our lives and how much he loves our lives and how much he wants our lives to reflect his love in the world around us. So let's use this faithfully. I'm going to hit pause before I pray. There's one, one thing I want to point to next week. Um, we're going to be doing something called a seed money blessing next week, and this has been done four or five-ish years ago here at Emmanuel. Uh, <clears throat> next week, the conversation is about practical obedience in the little things, practical obedience in the little things, and how that relates to our discipleship and following Jesus Christ. And so next week, we're going to have available, and we'll do it for a couple weeks after this as well, we're going to have envelopes with $50 in them, and any household in here, any household from a manual, you can sign up, put your name down, take one, and go bless somebody. Just simply go bless somebody. And it's not even your money. It's not even coming directly out of your paycheck, although it is the church, which many of you support. Thank you for that. Uh, take the $50, bless somebody, and tell the story. This is an exercise for us in obedience. It's an exercise for us in how simple it is to actually go bless somebody and share the love of Christ. So I'm telling you this now so that you can start thinking. Uh, we'll have them out next week, but then a week or two after that as well. And I really encourage you to think about if you just had $50 that you could go bless a person or a family, how would you do that? How would you spend it? How would you use it? How would you make somebody's day? So think about that. Or how would you pull it with the next family sitting next to you or somebody else down the street? How could that be seed money to multiply the blessing as well? As people in this congregation I know have pooled their money and done some pretty cool things with it in the past. So think about that and let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, today, Lord, we are grateful uh, that you have entrusted us with your word. As we look in Revelation chapter 1 and we see this image of God being described and there's this sword, Lord. Sword coming out of the mouth of God in Revelation 1. And um, this paints a picture of something uh, that is very powerful in God's word. It has the ability to cut to our hearts and to transform us, our very, the very essence of who we are. And Lord, it has the ability to cut to our hearts and convict us of the sin in our lives and where our lives don't align with you and your love and your life. And so Lord, we pray today you would use this word to penetrate our hearts, to transform us. Lord, would you create in us and instill in us the desire, the hunger to know you better through your word to study it together as a church and as a people, Lord. Um, I pray that we would be faithful in this. I pray that we would be obedient in this. And I pray, Lord, um, that you would bring generations of fruit from our willingness today to dig into your word and your scriptures. We lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen.